Good morning, church family. How are we doing this morning? Okay, I hope you are ready to hear from God's Word today. That's what worship does, prepares us to hear from the Lord. Uh, as you may notice, I am not our senior pastor. He is currently out of town. He's in uh, Central Europe with our uh, choir. Uh, they'll be back this week, so pray for their safe return this week. Uh, my name is Jerry Witt. I am the family pastor at our church. And so I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but I have always been in the ministry. I didn't go into ministry the full time until I was in my 30s, and I finally surrendered uh, to doing that as a call on my life. And uh, I don't know, I had a a lot of jobs growing up, and, and I was, to be honest with you, I was, I was pretty bad at all of them. Uh, I wasn't really a great uh, employee a lot of times, uh, partially because I wasn't called to do the things I was doing, but also, it just I, mean, I just wasn't very good, right, at some of the jobs I did. I remember the very first job interview I ever had was with The Gap. Okay, when I was in high school, I think, uh, and I interviewed and asked me this question. I don't know if it was intended to be the last question on the interview, or it ended up being the last question on the interview after you heard my response. But I remember the store manager asked me, hey, if you saw someone, an employee stealing in the store, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd probably tell them it's not a good thing to do, and I'd probably tell the manager next time they did it, okay? I'd probably tell the manager the next time they did it. Well, I didn't get that job, uh, and, uh, and that kind of continued along when I went to college, like many of us, uh, after high school, I had a lot of odds and jobs trying to figure out your purpose for your life, and none of the jobs I had during that period of my life uh, would I get an employee of the month for whatsoever. And I remember after I graduated from college with a business degree, uh, I got a job in the business field. My first job ever was selling life insurance. Okay, and I didn't know anything about life insurance or what you had to do to sell it. Uh, I did find out you have to take an exam, which I wasn't really thrilled about. You have to take an exam to sell life insurance, and so I passed that exam. Eventually, uh, I passed it. And then uh, the next thing you have to do is you sell life insurance. You have to actually build a clientele up, right? And that means you have to call friends and family members to ask them to buy life insurance from you when you're starting out. And they didn't tell me that. I had to call people. I thought I'd just put my name on the door. They would come and buy life insurance from me. That didn't happen the way I envisioned it. And uh, so needless to say, I didn't have that job very long either. Uh, fast forward three or four years, lots of other jobs, which I was just horrible at uh, during the course of that time. But I tell you all this to tell you this. Even in the midst of me having a bunch of jobs that I was terrible at, God used that time in my life to teach me some really cool lessons about myself, about humanity, about God's heart for humanity, and about God himself. And so when we talk about Jonah today, which we are going to talk about today, so we turn your Bibles to Jonah, uh, it's a minor prophet. And I would say Jonah and I kind of relate in one way because Jonah was like the worst prophet ever, right? Uh, he was horrible at his job. I can relate to that. Um, you know, I don't know what the job description of a prophet was in the Old Testament, but I think part of that job description would be to uh, be a person who wanted to share the one true God with lost people. Uh, Jonah didn't want to do that, okay? That was his last uh, one of his job description. He didn't like doing that. Matter of fact, we're going to read in the story today how Jonah ran from that call uh, to share God with lost people. And we're going to learn some truth today from Jonah's story that I hope and pray will apply to us. And we're going to learn like 15 enduring truths from Jonah's story. 
We're going to actually read the whole book of Jonah today uh, with me, and you're not supposed to have 15 points in the message, right? But I figure our senior pastor does it all the time, so why not, right? So uh, I'm going to jump through here pretty quick for you, but we're going to learn some really cool stuff, I think, in the book of Jonah today. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to pull our very first truth out of there. So if you're in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the very first truth we're going to find out about God is this. The Lord God, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. First thing we're going to learn about, about God is this, God communicates. God talks to you. He talks to me. He is not a silent God. He's not a distant God. He talks to us. Uh, God uses nature, tells the scripture, and his creation communicates some stuff about God. His word communicates to us more specifically about who God is. I think wise counsel from other godly people communicate to us things about God, but we have a God who is not silent. He talks to you and he talks to me. Aren't you glad that he does? Amen. Amen. Yes. And so the very first truth, and we have a God that communicates. He's not silent. He's not distant. Truth number two, in verse two, we're going to find this out. He tells Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. So let me explain this point for you right here. Obedience does not require our full understanding. That's point number two, or truth number two. Obedience does not require our full understanding. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and share with him about the one true God, that would have made absolutely no sense to Jonah whatsoever. If you know anything about ancient history, you know that Assyria was the ruling kingdom over the Jewish people at that time, and they were wicked, they were a cruel people. Nineveh was one of their capital cities, and he told Jonah to go to these wicked, horrible people who are oppressing them and share the good news about the one true God. So Jonah didn't want to do it. He did not want to obey. But God didn't ask Jonah to understand. He asked him to do what? To go and to obey. And I think a lesson you and I can learn is that sometimes we don't have to understand everything about God to take action, right? For me, sometimes I want to learn everything I need to know before I take any kind of steps whatsoever. Uh, But according to God, man, sometimes he just needs us to obey. And that truth was true back in Jonah's day, and it's true for our day right here and now, that our obedience does not require our full understanding when God calls us to do something. Truth number three, we're going to find there in that third verse, and it says this, it says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction, the worst prophet ever. I went in the opposite direction uh, to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarsus. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord's sailing to Tarsus. Truth number three, God gives us freedom to disobey. God gives us freedom to disobey. Why does God give you and I freedom to disobey? Because of love. Love needs to be a choice. Love can never be forced. I can't make you, God will not make you love anything. Love has to be a choice. And and Jonah made a choice not to love God, right? Matter of fact, he made a choice to go in the opposite direction from where God's called him to do. So if you know anything about geography in in the Old Testament, it's funny how much Jonah disobeyed God. Not only he didn't listen to him, he did the exact opposite. He told Jonah to go to the, to the east, he went to the west. He told him to go by land, he goes by sea. You know, he tells him to go to a big city in the middle of uh, the known world, he goes to a small city in the edge of the world. So Jonah did everything he could to disobey God's commandment on his life. And he went and he disobeyed God, and, but he gives us the freedom to disobey. But you've got to know something. When you say no to God, 
It doesn't solve your problem. Matter of fact, and you guys know this is true from your own life, you say no to God, it just leads to more storms in your life, doesn't it? And Jonah's going to learn that lesson too in verse number four. And so as we jump into verse number four, it says this, um, but the Lord heard a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And here's the truth we want to learn about this. Sometimes a storm is really a rescue in your life and my life. Sometimes a storm is really a rescue in your life and my life. God puts storm right in the path of Jonah to stop him from going the wrong direction. The storm wasn't there to destroy Jonah. The storm was there to rescue him. And what a great lesson that is for us to learn sometimes, right? Sometimes we have storms and difficulties in our life, and, and we don't understand why they're there. But a lot of times those storms, those difficulties in our life are really God's opportunity trying to rescue you from making the wrong choice and going in the wrong direction. And here's the cool thing about God, too. God comes after us even when we disobey and run from Him. God comes after you. He comes after me even when we run away from Him. And I'm so glad that he does. I remember uh, I grew up in the church, uh, like maybe some of you did, and uh, uh, when probably in middle school, high school, definitely in college, I started walking away from the Lord, uh, and I'm so thankful God didn't walk away from me during that time. But during those period of my life, those 10, 15 years, when I was kind of doing my own thing, walking away from the Lord, man, I had a lot of storms in my life that I didn't like, and I thought were wrong, and they shouldn't be there, right? And, but in the midst of those storms in my life, God tucked the storms, and he was trying to stop me from making decisions and choices that was going to destroy my life. And so in the midst of those storms, God comes after you. He came after me as well. So let's jump down to uh, verses 5 through 11 in that first chapter there. And it says this. It says, fearing for their lives, they, the desperate sailors uh, shouted to their God for help and threw the cargo over to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will uh, pay attention to you and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and, and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you, Jonah? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the land. Then the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned, and since the storm was getting worse, the time they asked him, what should we do what should we do to stop this storm from coming? And something I think we should learn from that passage, our next truth is this, number five, our sin affects other people around us. Our sin affects other people around us. Uh, Jonah's sin affected everyone on the boat. And I think sometimes we mistakenly go through life thinking, hey, I can, I can do some things that are wrong, but it won't affect my friends or my family or my church or my country or my job, whatever it is. But let me tell you the truth. Man, that's a lie. Your sin affects everyone around you. You can't manage the results of sin in your life and what is going to affect the people around you. Just like Jonah could not command the storm to stop, man, you can't stop sin from affecting people around you. 
And here's what Jonah did. Sometimes maybe you do this as well. Jonah thought he could ignore the storm. You see the the part of earth where he was downstairs fast asleep, ignoring what was going on, hoping the, the storm, the sin, the consequences would go away. Let me tell you, that never happens. Never happens. Our consequences, we're always finding out. Our sin, we're always finding out. We can't ignore them. That's not a good roadmap to avoiding sin and the consequences in your life. And, and a lot of times, I think, we spend a great deal of effort and energy ignoring known sins in our homes and in our cultures and our workplaces and our countries. And let me tell you, families, community, churches, um, uh, countries, governments, they all crumble when sin goes unchallenged and no one stands up. When we remain silent, especially when God's people remain silent because our sin, the sin affects people around us. Okay, so number, number, truth number six, and I think it's probably the first time that we're going to read anything that Jonah did that was halfway uh, what he should have been doing. And here's what it says in six. It says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm uh, again. I know this terrible storm is, in, is my fault. Um, here's what Jonah did. He took responsibility for his sin. Truth number Number uh, seven there, number, uh, yeah, number six there, take responsibility for your sin. If you want to move forward in your relationship with Christ, if you want to take that next step in your walk with, with God, then uh, you need to take responsibility for some things that are hindering you from doing those very things. Uh, we need to take responsibility. We live in a time and in a culture where we don't like taking responsibility, right? That's including me as well. I want to blame someone else. It's the, you know, it's that person's fault. It's this person's fault. It's my mom, my dad, the school, my boss, my friends, my neighbors. It's everyone else's fault. We don't take responsibility sometimes for our, our responsibility uh, where bad things happen. And so Jonah, one of the few things he did right in his whole entire book is that he took responsibility for his sins. And uh, saying you're sorry, feeling bad about something, having regrets doesn't solve anything. The only thing that solves our problem, my problem, is when we confess our sins, we repent, uh, and try to be made right with God again and ask God to come into our lives and, and change our story. Your story will never change as long as you allow sin to rule in your life and not take responsibility for it. So let's quit justifying it. For me and for you, there's things that we have in life that we know are wrong. We need to get those things right with the Lord because our sin and it affects people around us, and we need to take responsibility for that. Truth number seven, we're finding Jonah 13 through 17 here, that first chapter, as we wrap up the first chapter here. Here's what it says. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder uh, to get the ship to land, but the storm, uh, the stormy seas was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then, he, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon us for your, for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered uh, him sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a giant fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Just like our sin affects other people around us, guess what else affects other people around us? Our repentance affects other people around us. Uh, when we are obedient, it affects people around us as well. Just like sin affected the people on the ship, your obedience affects people as well. When the sailors in, this, in the story, when they saw God's great power, what did they do? 
man, they turned and worshiped the one true God. And let me tell you, sometimes when you repent in your lives, I know it was true in my life, when I repented from a sin, it affected everything about me and the people around me. And I'm even ashamed for why I didn't follow the Lord for so many years, even though I knew differently. I had a lot of reasons why I didn't want to follow God. I thought I'd lose my friends. I thought I'd have a horrible life. I thought I'd be stuck in the mission field in the middle of nowhere. Uh, all the things that you can imagine, you think are horrible. If you want to follow, I believe those things. So for many years, man, I didn't follow God's call. My life was afraid of what I had to give up. And I didn't realize when I was doing that, I was affecting the people around me as well. But here's what happened. When I repented and I turned to God, man, it did start affecting the people around me. I had five good close friends who I hung out and spent a lot of time with. Over the course of the next three years, I had like three of those guys to the Lord. One of them went into the ministry, uh, ended up, ended up sur- helping me surrender to the call of ministry and go to the seminary. I met my wife. I have my kids. I've been here for 18 years. So my repentance in a great way has affected a lot of families in our church and a lot of kids in our church because I repented. And your repentance does as well. When we repent, man, that affects everything around us. And so the truth we can learn from that is our obedience affects others around us just like our disobedience does as well. So let's go to chapter 2 here uh, in verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read all of them. I'll just read the first part of here. It's actually a prayer of Jonah when he is in the belly of uh, the big fish. And uh, it starts out in the verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, um, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cry out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. I'll skip down here to verse 9. It says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfillment of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore. Truth number eight is this, salvation is found in God alone. Salvation is found in God alone. Good works, giving to charity, being nicer than other people, doesn't earn you a place in heaven or God's forgiveness. Uh, It's only when we confess and we turn to God that he releases us to pursue his purpose for our lives. Just like in Jonah's story, salvation is found in God alone. I think it's interesting you have this big kind of flowery prayer uh, in Jonah, and uh, it doesn't seem like God really responds until he says what? Hey, my salvation comes from you, God. I realize that. And when he did that, what happened? Man, the fish spit him out, and he was released to pursue God's purpose for his life. So you can use all kinds of flowery words and do all kinds of good stuff until you get to the point where, hey, God, I understand my salvation comes through you and you alone is when you get to the point where you're actually released to pursue God and his purpose for your life with everything that you have, okay? And then chapter 3, let's jump into the first three verses in chapter 3. For our next point, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, the city so large that it took three days to see it all. Truth number nine is this. God gives you second chances. God gives you a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. The very very idea that you have breath in your lungs right now, God is still giving you a chance, either for you to, if you're a follower of Christ, to maybe turn from sin or maybe adjust some things in your life. Or if you're not a believer, he's giving you an opportunity right here and right now to make that relationship with him right. God gives you a second chance, third chance, and I'm so glad that he does, right? I'm so glad he came after me and gave me a second chance 
uh, in the midst of when I was falling away from the Lord. And so he does that for you too and for me. Okay, so let's jump into our 10th truth we'll find there in verses 4 through 9. It says this. It says, On the day Jonah entered the city, uh, the, sh- uh, the, city the shout of the crowd, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from uh, the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap lap and show their sorrow. And here's what I want you to realize in number 10 here. God's message has the power to change lives. God's message has the power to change lives. The Word of God is powerful. It changes lives. It transforms lives. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Psalm 19.7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's Word changes the direction of people's lives. It transforms you. One of the things that happened to me when I repented and I turned to Christ, God started changing me. He changed the things I thought about. He changed my desires, which blew my mind. Because I thought, if I follow Christ, I'm going to have to really fight against all these evil desires I have in my life. But when I decided to follow Christ, the desires I had in my life, man, they weren't as nearly as appealing anymore. Man, I didn't. He started changing my desires. And that's a miracle, right? Rewiring you from the inside out. And when you, start, when you turn to the Lord, man, God starts transforming your lives. And God's Word plays a major role in that. Uh, one, of my, um, one of my passions at our church as a family of pastors, I want to help parents, grandparents, and, and guardians help pass their faith on to the next generation. That is really one of my biggest jobs at church. What can I do? What can we do as a church to help our students and families pass faith on to the next generation? And here's an interesting thing we, we found out a few years ago. Lifeway did a study uh, and put it in a book called Nothing Less, and it gave here are 10 factors that are, are present in a student's life growing up that heightens the probability of them following Christ after high school graduation. In other words, if these, if these students do these 10 things, there's a higher probability that they're going to have a lifelong faith, right? You know what number one thing was? Number one thing for a student to have a lifelong faith is this. When they were young and they were a teenager, they read God's Word on a regular basis. Number one is God's Word is powerful. It's transforming. And if we can get your students and get our families to read God's Word on a regular basis, it transforms lives. And so if you have a heart and a passion to pass on your family's faith to your children, get them in the Word. Get them in the Word. It changes, it transforms lives. Um, and so let's jump to our, our truth number 11th. We find in 310, it says this. It says, uh, when God saw uh, what they had done and they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out destruction he had threatened to carry out. And here's truth number 11 is this. God's desire is repentance, not destruction. God's desire is repentance and not destruction. God's heart is to rescue what is lost. We, we read in John in Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. God rescued Jonah off the boat. He rescued the city of Nineveh. God's desire is repentance, not destruction. And that's a message we need to get out. So a lot of times, especially if you're not in the church world or you're not a follower of Christ, a lot of times we get in the church gets a bad name because all the churches have ruined my life. They want to do this. They want to do that. Tell me what I can and can't do. Uh, very much like I thought they kind of want to direct me in a direction I didn't want to go. 
But it's good to know the heart of God is not to destroy us, but is to help us. Uh, he, wants to, he wants repentance, not destruction in our life. And that's a great message uh, for Jonah and his time. is a great message for us in our time as well. And so let's read on here and get our truth number, uh, number 12 here in chapter 4. It says this, uh, the, change of, this the change of plans uh, greatly troubled Jonah. And he became very angry. Once again, a horrible prophet. Uh, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away from Tarsus. Here's a, a great truth for you and I to know. God is not bound by our plans. Man, he is not bound by my plans and your plans. Why? Because God sees much more than you see, much more than I see. A lot of times, man, all the time, our whole entire life, we just see what's really right in front of us, right? We can only see just a small sliver of time, uh, and our plans are too small a lot of times. They're too small. And, and you also, with us, man, our plans, if we're really honest, a lot of times our plans are kind of self-centered, aren't they? Until if I, God, if you just did this, that would help me out, or do this, that would make us feel better as a family, or whatever. And so our plans, a lot of times, are too small, and a lot of times are self-centered. God's plans are vast, they reach out in eternity. God lives above time, so he knows how the whole story works out. Uh, God sees the big picture where we only see the here and now. We don't see the big picture, what God is doing. Remember, Hebrews 10.1 says this, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the reality themselves. So even what we see is just a shadow of what's really happening. And so why does God not bound by our plans? Because we don't know the big picture. We're incapable of making some decisions that we think we can make. It's kind of, we kind of direct God or our circumstances in the world. We can't do that. Let's go on to truth number 13 and uh, verses 2 through 3 as we carry on here. And it says this, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Uh, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not come true. Wow. God saved me people and Jonas ticked about it, right? What horrible prophet. Okay. God is merciful and compassionate. Number 13. Truth number 13. God is merciful and compassionate. God will always do what is right and just. Always, all the time, without exception, always do what's right and just and loving. A lot of questions you get a lot of times, or at least I get, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do some people get what they don't deserve and people deserve and don't get it? Uh, I don't know the specifics. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know why that bad thing happened to that family or that person, and, and I feel it shouldn't have happened to him. I can't figure it out. Uh, but I'm not here to figure that out. God has figured out. He knows what he's doing. And I know, and you should know, as a follower of Christ, what Jonah knew about God. And he says this about God. He, said, um, he says, God, I know you are merciful and you are compassionate, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love, and eager to forgive. Everything we know about God, everything I know about God, has time and time again has proven to me that I can trust God with what I don't know about him. He can be trusted with the things that we don't know and we don't understand. And I do know we all have a lot of hurts in our life that happen through the course of our life. I do know this about God too. God will never let our hurt go unused in your life. God is going to use whatever that thing is, as horrible as, not as horrible, whatever it is, God is, can use that. He is working out a big plan, not a small, insignificant plan, and God will never let a hurt go unused. So God is merciful. He is compassionate. 
Let's go into our truth number 14 found in Jonah 4. It says this, Then the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Truth number 14, God chooses who he will be gracious and merciful to, not us. God makes that choice. We don't. God loves a sinner even when we can. If, we're, if I'm honest with you, man, there's some people that I just have a hard time loving. I just do. I have a hard time loving and acting in the right way towards them. Now, God is working in my life, and hopefully I'm getting better and better at that each and every day. But there's some people in our life that it's just, it's hard, isn't it? It's just hard to love and care about them. But God can. And I'm so thankful he did, and he does. Because he cares for people I can't. You know why? We learn in John 4, 4, God is what? God is love, man. That is his character, to love. That is part of his identity. He is love. And when God is kind and gentle and, and to people and loves them, it tells us in uh, Romans 2, 4, says God's kindness is intended to lead people to what? Repentance. So when God is kind and gracious to people that we don't like and we don't care, his desire is to lead them to repentance. And so truth number 15, uh, we'll find the last part of chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. Uh, he waited uh, to see uh, what would happen in the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, chained him from the sun. This, this eased uh, Jonah's discomfort, and he was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged a worm the next morning to, uh, at dawn. The worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and the sun grew hot. God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint, wishing to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, It is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah replied, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about a plant, though you did nothing to put, put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Truth number 15. Our wrong desires blind us to God's purpose. Our wrong desires blind us to God's purpose. Jonah was so consumed with anger and hate and his preconceived notions that he could not see even what was right and good, which was the salvation of the people in Nineveh. He couldn't even see that. And I think uh, we understand that. We can relate to that, especially in our political environment nowadays, right? No matter what the other side does, it could be good or it could be bad, but we're going to hate it, right? Because at least our culture does. Because they can't see. We're so blinded sometimes by our hatred and our anger that we can't even see clearly. And that's what sin does all the time. It, it clouds up things for us. It makes us not think clearly about things. Jonah was part of one of the greatest revivals recorded in the Old Testament. Did you get that? One of the greatest revivals recorded in the Old Testament was the story of Jonah when he shouldn't be praising and rejoicing in the victory of the salvation of people. He was mad. He was angry. He was pouting. And that cost Jonah much, and it cost you and I much as well when we refuse to see the good in the midst of our sin and our anger. And so, and so he missed it. Jonah missed it. So that's the end of the book of Jonah. It doesn't close 
It, it doesn't really close. It basically closes with God's concern for people who are in spiritual darkness, and a challenge to Jonah uh, is to care about the people who are lost. And really, that's the same challenge God leaves you and I today with, right? To care about the people who are lost. And so the question we have for you is this, do you really care about people who are lost and going to hell around you? I mean, really care about it. Care enough about actually to, to do something about it. Do you care? Let me share this story with you. I've been really convicted the last probably two months. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. And trans- I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not. I'm not a great evangelist. I don't share my faith as often as much as I like to or should. And I can make excuses for that because, hey, I'm in a church surrounded by Christian people all the time. I'm not in the world, you know. Uh, I can make excuses for it all the time, but I've been so convicted about that lately. You know, I don't know if you know anything about the church international, but there's a lot of conflict in the church in the country right now. We disagree on a lot of different stuff. But one thing I think the church can come together on, no matter what denomination you're in, is the good news of the gospel, right? And so, I've been really concerned about that. I've been praying, God, help me be more of an evangelist. So, this week this happened. This is crazy. I'm getting ready to preach, and this happened this week. So, Monday I'm here at the church. I'm in my office, and I get a phone call from, from our, our receptionist at the front desk. And, hey, there's a lady down here who wants to talk to a pastor. And so, I go down, and I talk to her, and uh, bring her here. She says, I just want to pray at the church. Okay? I said, okay. So, she brings her here. I sit down with her and say, hey, what brings you in today? And as I start asking her questions, I realize she doesn't go to church anywhere. She's not a believer. Uh, she's going through a difficult situation in her life right now, so she just wanted to go someplace where she thought she'd get some help at. Well, I knew the issue in her heart wasn't the difficult situation she was going to. I knew the real issue was her salvation. That's what we got to figure out first, right? Get God in our life. When we get God in our life, then we can start figuring out these other issues. And so here I am, I'm back, and I'm trying to share the gospel. She's sitting right back there. I'm trying to share the gospel with her, and I'm just, I'm horrible. I'm fumbling over my words. She's asking me questions. I can't figure out stuff. My head's going a hundred different directions, and here I am praying about God giving me a chance to share the gospel, and I get an opportunity to do it, and I can't even do it. And I got so frustrated that I actually pulled my phone, and I go, hey, I have a gospel app on my phone. Let's read this together, okay? I'm a pastor. I don't need an app, right? <laughs> and so I got the phone out. We went through, and she said, yeah, I'd like to pray to receive Christ. You know, amen, praise God. It wasn't because of me, because I was horrible at it. I was terrible at it. But praise God, she prayed to receive Christ this week. And then, just like two days ago, as I'm praying this prayer, so I'm going to challenge you to say, God, help me share the gospel more. And the reason I don't share as much, because I'm at the church with a Christian. So, lady comes in, I think it was Thursday or Friday. I'm in my driveway. Mormons come to my driveway, you know, and want to talk to me about Jesus, right? Another opportunity. I get a chance. As I started praying, I'm going to quit praying that prayer. It's tough. Um, but, um, but as those things are happening, man, like I said a while ago, I've been, I've been terrible at a lot of jobs. I don't want to be terrible at this one job. Sharing the good news of the gospel. It's good news. It's the power to save people's lives. Mal. We don't talk a lot about hell nowadays, do we? It's scary. But that is the reality of someone who is far from Christ. And I don't want to be job bad at that job, of any job. Don't be bad at that one thing. So we take this whole lesson and actually get you this one point. I can only imagine people in here right now, there has to be someone in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I want to talk to you. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ today. We're going to share the gospel with you. I'm also made another commitment. I, I, I preach and talk a lot to students, and very rarely do I ever 
share the good news of the gospel in my message. I'm going to stop doing that. I want to share the gospel. That's what God's called me to do. And so I want you to do something. If you're a believer right now, I want you to start praying right now, man, for that person around you who doesn't know Christ. We're going to share the good news of the gospel. And here it is, the good news of the gospel for people around you. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But here's the problem. Our sin separates us from God, separates me, separates you from God. Jesus, in the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the result of sin is death, spiritual separation from God, Romans 6.23. But here's the good news. God sent his son to die in our place for our sins. Jesus died in our place, took our punch for our sin so we can have a relationship with Christ and live with God forever in heaven. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love in this. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason we can believe what Jesus said is true is because of the resurrection. He just didn't preach a message and die, but he resurrected from the dead. He is still alive. Amen, amen. He is alive, and today he wants a relationship with you. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and the third day he rose again from the grave, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how does someone receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? It's done, man. It's a free gift of salvation. First and foremost, you have to admit you're sinning. You can't save yourself. Not a newsflash to anyone in here, right? We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. We sin. Uh, It says repent, turn from your sins, and to turn to Christ and believe that Jesus was indeed God's son, and he died for your sins on the cross, and ask Jesus to come into your life and into your heart, and to be your Lord, and be your Savior, and ask him for his forgiveness through prayer. The Bible says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. The Bible says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Shouldn't we be sharing that? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I do pray for everyone in this room today. God, if they are following Christ and pray to receive you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this week, God, they will start developing a heart for people who are lost all around them and begin praying like I've been praying the last few weeks, few months. God, send opportunities to my life and help me be bold to share my faith with people. God, so I pray for that believer who just needs to go out and share the gospel and quit being silent. So I pray that you empower them this week to do that very thing. God, I pray for that person out here who's never prayed to receive Christ, and maybe this is the first time they've ever heard the good news of the gospel. I pray for them right now, and I pray that today is the day that they choose to pray to receive Christ. And the prayer is really simple, and it goes like this. And if you're a person who's never prayed to receive Christ, all you have to do right now is where you're sitting at, in your seat, is pray this prayer after me. And God promise you he will come into your life and be your Lord and be your Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. 
I'm going to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.